Welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Michael Webb, author of the Shadow Knights trilogy and also author of the new novel, Fortress of the Lost Amulet. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. I'm excited to be here with you. Or I should say, welcome back to the podcast. You're right. Yeah. Excited to be back. (laughs) Great. Well, if someone hasn't heard about your new novel yet, how would you describe Fortress of the Lost Amulet? Uh, well, uh, my, my first series, the Shadow Knights trilogy, I, I, was, I was just learning about writing. I got into it. And it's this you know, young adult epic fantasy story. But as I'm writing that, and I love that, that, that world I'm in and that's the story plot. And I had this book idea that um, I am a, I'm a sucker for adventure and treasure hunting, but I love fantasy as well. So my vision was to create this treasure hunting, adventurous, epic world where people are going after kind of a like a, a Indiana Jones type of feel or national treasure uh you know the movie um just this this adventurous feel of following clues and finding old maps and uh, you know going through you know the jungles and the mountains and looking for something that's been lost but putting it in this uh this book format of uh you know telling a story through new characters and a new world and a fantasy setting uh, so Fortress of the Lost Amulet is book one of my new Treasure Hunters Alliance series. Uh, actually going to planned out several more books. They'll be coming out pretty quick succession after they start publishing. Um, so I'm very excited. Uh, published on March 1st. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited to have it out there. I wonder if we could go back for a moment. What was your initial writing journey that led you to writing and publishing the Shadow Knight trilogy? Well, I started just a little over three years ago, probably three and a half years ago. Um, I didn't have a background in writing. Uh, I didn't study it. I just, it was kind of a bucket list idea. <laughs> I thought that'd be fun to write a, write a book. Uh, <laughs> of course, at the time, my vision was sell a few copies to my friends and family and then, you know, put it on a shelf and, you know, hang my hat on that. Um, but as I got into it, I realized it's a lot of work to write a novel, um, so I put in the time, I wrote all the, the full story and then I'm like, you know what? I don't want to just publish a story. I want to, I want to make it good. I spent so much time building this story that, you know, I'm going to do what needs to happen to revise it and edit it and work with a developmental editor and a copy editor, proofreader and beta readers, alpha readers. So I spent all this time, uh, it was my first year and a half from when I start writing to when my first book published, it was constantly learning and growing and studying about writing, about story construction, about, you know, the, the editing process. How do you make your story smooth and professional? Um, and then it was, you know, getting a cover design and figuring out how do I, how do I self publish this? Uh, which was my goal from the beginning. Um, and then that published April 1st of 2021, uh, back when I was on your, your uh, show uh, a couple of years ago, it was just after that book published. Um, but what was really, what really blew me away was my expectation going in was very low. Um, I set a goal of selling 500 copies in, uh, of that first book. And I thought, okay, if I can do this, then that would be ridiculous. Uh, well, as of right now, I'm around 65,000 copies, almost 70,000 copies uh, across the three books in that trilogy that I've written. Um, so my, my goal instantly changed from this is a fun bucket list idea to this one. Actually, I love it. 
and I want to keep writing. I want to keep publishing stories, but it is a great way to uh, you know, build a career, uh, keep writing stories. And when I fell in love with that process, it made me want to keep going. So that's why now venturing into new series, new new stories and new books, uh, and I'm excited to, to get more coming out. What was the process like for you of um, with that first series of, of working with a developmental editor? Um, it was extremely helpful because, like I said, I, I didn't have a background in writing. <laughs> I didn't know anything about how do you construct a proper story? How do you keep readers interested and engaged? You know, the character arcs and the plot arcs and all those things that a good writer needs to do. I didn't know what I was doing. I like reading. I know what I like in a story. So I was just kind of going by the seat of my pants. But when I worked with a developmental editor, I I sent it off and I was hoping, you know, crossing my fingers, knowing nothing about what to expect, hoping for, oh, this was really good. Yeah, I'm impressed. I can't believe this is your first book. I found a couple things, but overall, this is great. So that, that's what I'm crossing my fingers, waiting to get back. And I had, I pulled it up and there was, I think it was 16,000 revisions in wow. my first manuscript. Uh, <laughs> I saw that and uh, my jaw kind of dropped and I, I kind of cringed like, oh, I am awful. Um, but but it wasn't awful and the book wasn't awful. It was just, these were, most of them were very small. It was, I use this word, it might read better if I changed it to this or, you know, just just these little things here and there. And I went through them one by one and, reviewed them and updated them. And as much as it was tedious, that was my education. Uh, it was 16,000 opportunities for me to get better as a writer. Um, so as I get into book two of the trilogy and book three, and now working on a new series, what I learned by working with my developmental editor, but also like the copy editor, uh, all those steps, it's just it's educating me on writing. How do I get better? How do I make a cleaner story? So now when I write like Fortress of the Lost Amulet, my first draft was probably on par with my fourth or fifth draft of The Last Shadow Knight, just because I've learned that much more. And I think that developmental editor process really started me off well of helping educate me on what to do. Can you discuss a specific challenge you faced while writing your latest book and how you overcame it? Hmm. Specific challenge. Um, so there is, um, it's tough to get into too much detail without, sure. uh, you know, cause at the climax of the story, I, I knew there's this, this, the, the protagonist, the antagonist, the, the, the good guy is it's this kid named Peter. Uh, he's, he's in late teens. He is, uh, he's adventurous. He wants to, he's got these group of friends. Basically the story centers around these four friends. It's kind of this found family. Uh, vibe. Uh, they're all hanging out together. They've been known each other for forever, and they are the ones going after this treasure. But Peter's the main one. He's he's kind of the rock of this crew. Um, he his he has parents, which shockingly for a young adult fantasy story, he's not an orphan. He actually has parents, um, but his his parents are in trouble financially. Uh, they're on a farm. The farm is about to go under. They're basically in ruin, and so he is going on this adventure to find this treasure in order to save his family. That's one of his motivations. Um, so the antagonist uh, is uh, Garrett Razor. He is this uh, the head of this like, uh, like a gang syndicate called the Viper Syndicate. 
Um, and he finds this uh, clues for this legendary treasure called uh, the Amulet of Power. So he is pursuing this. Meanwhile, Peter stumbles across the the clues of the map of how to get there. And the, the story is basically Peter and his friends pursuing this treasure while Razor is trying to cut them off, always a step behind, but then they clash a lot. And then the, the finale is, I got, it took me a while to figure out how to do it, but I wanted this setup where Peter is faced with a decision of how do I, you know, he, he's trying to get this, this treasure, but I want, I wanted to have it for the right reasons of why he's getting it. Is, is he doing it selfishly to get money? Is he doing it? You know, what, what are the choices he makes? Does it involve around love for his friends um, is it involved, you know, just trying to get back at this antagonist? So I'm trying to set up the scene. How do I make a showdown to where Peter is making a choice, something that chooses, uh, being selfless, uh, making the right choice while also still benefiting from what happens in a way that it pits that protagonist versus antagonist clash, um, without it giving off the wrong motivations. Uh, so I know, I realize that's very general, uh, but I, I couldn't quite figure out how to do that. And I have this, this, this setting is amazing. It's this, uh, on the book cover, if you look at it, it's this, uh, epic fortress built into the side of a mountain with these waterfalls running down. So that the scene of where this, this showdown is, is incredible. Um, and I love the way it panned out. It I'm able to perfectly capture all these different elements I wanted where, uh, Peter is the one, he's, he's the driving force and he's making this choice. But that took me a long time to figure out how to play that out. I threw, threw a lot of ideas out there and scrapped them and went to another one and scrapped them and finally came up with something. I did a little brainstorming with some other authors as well to get their input into, okay, I'm trying to do this. How would you set this up? That was helpful as well. You mentioned earlier your success at at self-publishing or indie publishing with the Shadow Knights trilogy. Right. What did you discover about indie publishing as you were publishing the three novels in the trilogy? Uh, I discovered a lot. Well, one, I didn't know anything about it, so everything was a discovery. Um, but it is so much more accessible than I ever realized. Uh, and my going in, like if I were to rewind back five years, if I looked at two books and someone told me that one was self-published and one was published through a traditional publisher, in my mind, I would have this immediate prejudice that the one that went through a traditional publish, per, publisher is better than the indie published, the self-published one. That, that's, that's an old Michael. But what's one thing I learned is that that is often, almost always not the case. Now, I say almost always. It, there are no barriers to entry. So anyone can write a book, do very little effort to get it good, to get it clean and professional, and they can publish it. And so there is material out there that is not quality, but that has not been my experience. As I've gotten to know other authors, I've read a lot of indie books. Um, as long as you do the work of writing and revising and getting editors to help you with it and getting a good cover design, you can publish a product that is just as good, if not better than anything a traditional publishing company comes out with. Um, but what really struck me so much is, uh, as a, as an author making, earning a living, making money, writing books, publishing them, selling them. It is 
I feel much easier to make a living as an indie author than working with a traditional publisher. Um, people always assume that you, you hit the lottery if a publisher picks you up, um, expecting they are going to drag you along to success, but that's not how it works. A traditional publisher finds someone they think is going to be successful and they partner with you and end up making a lot of the money that you would have made on your own. Cause if you have a quality book, if you are able to market yourself, uh, which is a challenge that a lot of indie authors struggle with or don't know what to do, uh, the marketing piece. Uh, but if you can market yourself and you have a quality product, the opportunity for uh, earning income is, I feel, significantly great, significantly easier to reach uh, when you are self-publishing versus going with a traditional publisher. Sure. And on that note, um, and for those listening who might be interested in indie publishing, can you talk a little bit about your marketing plans for your new book, Fortress of the Lost Amulet? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, it's one thing that makes it much easier right now is that I have a successful book series out. Um, I've, you know, like I said, 65, 70,000 copies sold. So as soon as I put that book out, whole bunch of people on Amazon, Amazon wants to sell product and it is going to sell my book for me to anyone who thinks might want it. So the people who have bought it before, they're going to find out my books out there and Amazon's going to push it to them. Uh, and it's going to sell a lot without me doing anything. However, uh, giving a, giving a better picture, that's not very helpful for people who are new to it or maybe haven't broken out yet. Um, so I am still taking a lot of steps for marketing. A big thing I do is I push my launch team. Uh, my launch team, these are uh, people who are either readers or friends or family, people who support what I am doing and want to see the book be successful. Uh, so I'll give them early copies to read. They, uh, they will read it. They will uh, share it on social media when the book comes out. Uh, and they'll leave a review on Amazon or Goodreads or wherever because um, that helps with the visibility. They're sharing it, telling other people that the book is out, sharing their opinions on it. You know, if I tell people, hey, my book's here, it's great, you should get it. That doesn't mean a whole lot. And if someone else says, I read this book, it was great, you should get it. People will say, huh, that is street cred, uh, proving that this book is quality. It's not just the author saying it. Um, so the launch team is a huge part of my marketing strategy getting the word out, getting reviews out there, getting ratings on Amazon um, helps with that visibility. Um, and then I am constantly trying to uh, keep my visibility, uh, you know, stuff like this, being on podcasts, talking about my book, talking about my career as an author is a great way to get the word out. Uh, I'm using um, social media like Facebook. I'm in a lot of different Facebook groups. There's a lot of different ways to interact, talk with people, them to find out that you're an author, basically any platform you have. Uh, just uh, last week, uh, my college quarterly alumni magazine came out and there's an article in there uh, about me and uh, the Shadow Knights trilogy uh, talking about me publishing a book because yeah, I'm, I'm an alumni from the college. They want to be able to brag on their people. And so there's an article in there. I had an article at, uh, at my day job. I have a day job still. Um, but they thought it was cool that I wrote a book. And so they did a big article and plastered it on the front page of our, uh, company website. 
Uh, there's like, you know, 25,000 associates in our company. So that's a lot of visibility. Um, I basically, I'm always trying to think of who do I, where do I have connections? Uh, where do I have places where I can be visible, either my book to be visible or me as an author to be visible. Um, I do a little bit with, uh, paid advertisements, marketing. A lot of people think marketing, you think running ads, you can do ads on Amazon. You can do ads on Facebook. You can do ads on BookBub. I do very little with that. Uh, a lot of authors do. I, I struggle to see the return on investment for that as opposed to other more grassroots approaches. Um, so I, I, I focus a lot of my intention on um, getting the word out, talking with people, getting visibility. Uh, but I, I do a little bit with ads, very small amount. Um, but then I'll also do every three, four months or so, I'll do a, a free giveaway, you know, like an ebook giveaway. Uh, so Amazon lets you do a few days every quarter where you can make it free or discounted. Um, and I'll, I'll run that for free, you know, giveaway book one of the series. Uh, I will sometimes pay for mailing list uh, news. There's a lot of different like free booksy or uh, book barbarian, you know, these, these mailing lists where you can pay $30, $40. They will email it out to their list saying, Hey, this book is 99 cents for the next three days or whatever the, the deal is. Um, so stuff like that really helps prompt a lot of sales or downloads or uh, audio. Uh, the, all my three books are on audio uh, as well on Audible. Um, so stuff like that. What writing advice would you offer for those who are working on their own novels or stories? Uh, okay, if I, were to, if I were to give one piece of advice... Uh, something that would helped me uh, when I was starting, I would say, get candid, honest advice early. Um, I, when I started, like I said, I didn't know about writing. I didn't, did, I, I knew about books and I knew about stories, but uh, the writing was something I learned as I went. I, I read my whole first book. It's, you know, 500 pages long. Um, and then I reached out for feedback. And, you know, so part 1A of this advice, uh, when you reach out for feedback, it's, it's very easy to get friends and family. Those are not your ideal people to give you feedback because they're going to, they're going to pull their punches a little bit. Uh, you want unbiased feedback of people who can tell you how it is. Now, friends and family are okay. It's not bad, uh, but you're not going to get as good feedback as say other authors. Uh, so on Facebook, there's tons of, um, author, you know, beta readers, uh, you know, shared, uh, Facebook groups dedicated to swapping or just putting your book out there. Say, hey, I've got this book. I'm looking for some feedback. Anyone interested, uh, you will get, uh, you know, a dozen different people that will raise their hand. Um, so, but my, part of this advice is don't start with your entire book. Uh, that's what I did. I said, okay, I got this book. It's 500 pages long. I want people to give me feedback. And I gave them the whole book. And then two chapters in, I immediately knew I got to rewrite the whole thing <laughs> because <laughs> people were, were giving me feedback, you know, through Google Docs. So I can, I can see it in real time as they're making comments to the manuscript. But, you know, they're two chapters in and they're leaving comments. Okay, this should be different. This should be different. Ooh, you're here. You're telling. You need to be showing this. Or you wrote this. This is a big info dump. And I'm reading this. I'm like, they're totally right. I never thought about that. I never knew to think about that. But from that exposure of just a couple chapters, I immediately knew 
I need to, I, I don't want them to read chapters three through 50. I, I, I want them to stop because I've got a lot of work to do. And if they yeah. give me feedback on all those other chapters, it's going to be useless because I've got to rewrite them anyway. So get feedback, candid feedback, but start in small chunks, especially when you're new at writing and use that to help teach you about writing. This could be uh, like swapping with you know beta readers online. It could be uh, a critique group, maybe someone local to where you live. I'm part of a writer's guild that we meet uh, twice a month in the area. We exchange um, uh, samples for to read for each other and give, give people advice. I think that's my number one piece of advice. To get better at writing, you need help and feedback, hopefully from other writers. That's going to be your best source of feedback because they're going to really help teach you some things that you may not know. What novels or nonfiction books have you read recently that you enjoyed? Um, I am currently reading, um, which I'm enjoying a lot. It's uh, the the first book in the series is The Lies of Locke Lamora. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a fantasy book um, by Scott Lynch, I think. Um, and the second book is what I'm reading right now. It's the uh, Rise of the Red Dawn. Red, no, Red Seas Under Red Skies. Uh, book two of that series. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a great uh, fantasy story about you know uh, con men and heists and you know it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, so that's been cool. Um, something else I just read, um, uh, which was a great story, The Voice of War. Uh, so he's it's an author, uh, Zach Argyle. He's a, he's an indie author as well. Someone I've gotten to know. Uh, his book, his series is finished. It's called the Threadlight series. Fantastic series. Uh, that epic fantasy feel uh, did a great job with that. Um, yeah, that's great. The most, most recent ones I read. Are you working on a new novel now? Uh, yeah, uh, I am. Well, working. I'm double working in two areas. Uh, so, Fortress of the Lost Amulet is is out, and book two is what's going to be coming out next. Uh, it's going to be called Legend of the Golden City. Uh, so that's the second book in the Treasure Hunters Alliance. Uh, again, treasure hunting fantasy. It's going to follow these same four friends in their next adventure. Uh, I'm planning seven books in the series. Uh, so each book is going to be a new treasure that they tackle. You know, new clues, new bad guys, new adventure, new destinations. Um, so that one I am working on uh, hopefully will be out this summer is my plan. Um, and then I've also I've been working over the last year on a follow-up trilogy for the shadow Knight series. Um, so the first was a trilogy. It was books one, two, three, all in this one story. Um, but I love the world and I love the story of the shadow Knights. I don't want to stop it. So I'm starting a, it's called shadow Knights generations. Basically it's the next generation of shadow Knights. And it, so it takes the same, some of the same characters, but a lot of new characters uh, in that same world. And it's going to take a whole new story arc. A uh, whole new bad guy, whole new conflict. Uh, so that will be three books. And it's going to be like 16 years down the road from the initial trilogy. Uh, that I'm hoping to publish book one uh, this fall is my plan. Where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you and your Shadow Knights trilogy and your new series? Uh, so if you want to find out about me, my website, michaelwebnovels.com. Uh, I have information on my books, information on me. Uh, there's um, some fun stuff you can download there as well. I have a, a newsletter you can sign up. I give away a free 
uh, novella. So the Shadow Knights trilogy has a prequel novella, tells the backstory of the Shadow Knights, kind of how they came, part of how they came into being, or at least some of the characters. Uh, I give away that novella for free, uh, the uh, the digital download of it. So if you go to michaelwebnovels.com, sign up for my newsletter, you can get a free copy of that novella. Uh, also, if you're interested in my books, you can. Uh, Amazon is the, the best place to find them. Uh, all three of them are up there uh, in Fortress of the Lost Amulet as well. Um, so uh, yeah, or on social media, uh, I am Michael Webb Novels on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok. That's great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Michael Webb, author of the new novel, Fortress of the Lost Amulet. The novel is on sale now, so go buy a copy. And Michael, thanks for doing this interview. Thank you so much. It's great talking with you again, Jeff. Absolutely. Chapter one. 350 years later. You're sure this is the place? Peter whispered. He grimaced at the high crumbling stone wall above them. It was a familiar place, one Peter hurried by hundreds of times, never giving it a second look. Ryland grinned with anticipation, having led the four friends to the narrow alleyway behind the wall. The guy I followed came straight here from Banker's Row, opened a big fancy lock on the gate over there, and entered. Whatever he was carrying in that coin purse, I know there's more inside. Peter nodded, his stomach growling with a deep ache. And you're sure we won't get caught? Safiri asked, chewing at the edge of her thumbnail. Can't we just head back to the inn and earn some pinted playing gamut? Gamut takes forever, Ryland said. I'm telling you, this will be worth it. We need it. Our parents need it. Peter winced at the mention of parents. He glanced at Safiri, but she didn't appear phased by the comment. We won't get caught, Kira soothed her with a smile as she tied her blonde hair up into a ponytail. Safiri sighed in both agreement and defeat. If you say so. I already said so, Ryland whispered. This is a great idea. Your plans sometimes end with you stuck in the stocks for an afternoon, Safiri said. Kira's don't. Peter stepped closer. She's got a point. Let's get a move on. If we hurry, we might have time to make it to the tavern and get a proper dinner. Now that's what I'm talking about, Ryland grinned before kneeling and lowering his head. Peter planted the soles of his worn boots on Ryland's broad shoulders, then steadied himself with one hand on the stone wall as Ryland exhaled and stood. Ryland was stocky, whereas Peter was lean and tall enough to peer over the top of the wall. There wasn't much to be seen behind it, a few dilapidated stables, a large old building, and a couple of guards talking to each other. What exactly are they guarding? Peter wondered. Just that building? A powerful gust of wind would knock it down. Move left, Peter muttered. Ryland grumbled, but teetered to the left until the nearest stable blocked Peter's line of sight to the guards. He clambered over the wall, then dropped onto a large supply barrel near the wall. He froze at the sound of his boots hitting the old wooden lid, but the guards didn't stir. The barrel put him another short drop from the ground, and when he stood straight he was tall enough to reach back over the wall and down the opposite side. Peter adjusted the coil of rope over his shoulder, hiking it higher. Their system snapped into gear. Friends for years, the teenagers barely had to speak. Safiri went next up onto Ryland's shoulders, then grasping Peter's hand to get over the wall. Kira followed and landed gracefully on the barrel beside Peter. Side by side, they reached down and each pulled one of Ryland's arms, 
his height assisted by a running start and kicking off the wall. With some scrambling and struggling, he fit his toes into the features of the wall and told himself up. All right, Rylan huffed. Where do we think the stash is? Wasn't this your idea? Zafiri glanced around, shoulders tense. Well, yeah, it's not like I have a map of this place, though. Let's get in upstairs, Peter whispered, pointing to the balcony ahead. You can boost us up, less likely for the guards to notice that way. Ugh, Rylan's shoulders fell. Again? Staying out of sight of the guards, the four repeated the process, clambering up onto Ryland's shoulders to sneak onto the building's second-story balcony. Sweat dotted Ryland's shirt as he hauled himself up last. He was the strongest of the four, but the climbing always took a toll. Peter paused, crouched on the balcony, ears perked for any sounds of recognition, while the four friends waited, motionless. Satisfied with the silence, he placed the coil of rope onto the balcony with a muted hump, then nodded over his shoulder at his friends. Pushing open the door to the balcony, he crept into the dark hallway behind it. There wasn't much to see, dust and cobwebs overhead, a few closed doors, floorboards that creaked under his feet. Peter grimaced as he tried to move in silence. Where would the coins be stashed? It looked more like an abandoned lodging than any kind of functional building. Did Rylan imagine this guy in his coin purse? At the end of the hall, a light shone from beneath a heavy door. Not hearing any occupants beyond, Peter pushed it open but remained crouched in the doorway. A fire roared and crackled in the hearth behind a large dressing screen that divided the room. There, Rylan whispered. He peered over Peter's shoulder, then nodded toward a small table next to an armchair. The heavy bag of coins had been left as if dropped by someone as he passed. Um, Kira whispered. Guys? At the rear of their group, Kira grimaced at the door itself. A carving of a serpent wrapping around a skull displayed above the handle, the symbol of the Viper Syndicate. Peter swallowed. A bit of thievery was one thing. Robbing the Vipers was another. We should go, Safiri whispered. The pouch is right there, Ryland said. Let me grab it real quick. No way, Peter said. Seth's right. We should get out of here. Rylan pushed past Peter. He entered the room just as another door opened next to the hearth. Rylan dropped, cowering behind the armchair with eyes wide. Peter caught his terrified gaze and mouthed, Get back here! Rylan shook his head. He pressed closer to the armchair, then cut his gaze to the bag of coins. Idjit, Safiri whispered. He's going to get us killed. The new land rates will go into effect immediately, a man said as he approached the hearth, his head and shoulders visible above the dividing screens. He peered down at something beneath him that commanded all of his attention. The man was tall with salt and pepper hair and small dark eyes. Even from a distance, the firelight caught the gold detailing woven into his fine silk jacket. He stood straighter than his companions, two stocky lackeys who hung on his every word. Inform the farmers about the increase tomorrow. See if you can't get them to pay up front. A buck-toothed lackey laughed. The Lord of Commerce already agreed to it. Of course, the man drawled. He didn't exactly have a choice. Garrett Razor, Kira whispered. Peter's throat went dry. Not only were they in a Viper Syndicate facility, but their leader reviewed his plans next to them. Great. Get back here.
Peter mouthed to Rylan again before pointing to the floor at his feet. Now! And that will be enough to keep our coffers full? the buck-toothed lackey asked. What about loans? the other man asked. Are we increasing the interest rates alongside the land rates? Razor laughed, but it was a dark, humorless sound. Not a bad idea. We'll see. Right now we have bigger things to worry about. He smoothed his hand over papers on the table. We're getting close. Close to something big. And once I have it in my hands, I won't need the Lord of Commerce at all. The vipers will run, Polenting. What do you mean? Alaki asked. Don't we already run the city? Rylan shuffled closer to the table. Don't, Peter mouthed. It's right there, Rylan mouthed back. Razor scoffed. Stoke the fire. I need better light. The men turned away while Razor's attention remained on the papers. Rylan looked ready to pounce, tense and coiled like a spring. Peter's heart pounded. He slowly shook his head. Rylan darted his hand out and snatched the bag off the table. The coins jangled in the pouch just as a log in the fire snapped and broke in the hearth, sending up a spray of sparks. This was it, Peter was sure. Finally, Ryland's impulsiveness would lead to them getting in trouble, real trouble, not just a slap on the wrist from the local guards. But Razor didn't move. Ryland broke into a grin. Despite his irritation, Peter couldn't deny that a good meal with the money sounded great. The viper's leader sighed and turned away from the papers, arms crossed over his chest as he gazed into the roaring flames. Now, Peter mouthed. Ryland crept toward the door, staying low to the ground, as if that would keep him out of sight. He hurried forward, then grabbed the door handle. Peter grinned. We're going to make it. Ryland pulled the door open wider to slip back through, and the hinges creaked. Razor whipped around. Who's there? Go, Peter hissed. Go now. He scuttled backward, nearly knocking Kira and Safiri down. They jumped back, and Peter hopped to his feet. Get them, Razor shouted. The two lackeys stumbled out, eyes wide as they fumbled their knives out of the scabbards on their hips. Peter pushed his three friends down the hall. He stayed at the rear and faced the two lackeys. Go, he shouted to the others. Get out of here. No way, Ryland said. Not without you. The buck-toothed one sneered and lunged, knife forward in a sloppy overhand grip. Peter suppressed a grin. The man's unsure stance and flushed face suggested he didn't get the same amount of training Peter did in his spare time. He ducked under Bucktooth's arm, then caught him in the gut with a hard punch. The lackey grunted in pain and dropped his weapon. Kira rolled forward and snatched the knife with a whoop of victory. Ryland surged ahead and barreled into the other man's legs, low enough to knock him off balance and send him careening to the floor. Peter, Kira called, Blade! Before Peter could turn and take the offered weapon, Safiri's cry of, Look out! preceded Bucktooth ramming into him, slamming his body into the wall. Dull pain throbbed through Peter's shoulder where it connected with the wall. He struggled against the lackey's bulk. The man worked his shoulder against Peter's neck, angling to cut off his breathing. Peter cringed and shoved back. I'm going to kill Ryland for getting us into this, if the vipers don't kill me first. Kira leaped forward, knife in hand, and slashed the man's leg. The lackey cursed and reeled backward. Peter staggered away and stared. The man cried out and pressed his hand against the gash where a dark stain bloomed. 
Kira tossed the knife aside with a clatter against the floor, then grimaced and shook her hands out like she'd just touched a slug. Rylan buried his fist in the other man's gut. Rylan, Peter called. Come on! The larger boy glanced over his shoulder. Start down. I'll hold them off. Safiri stared ahead, her body frozen and eyes wide. Peter took her wrist and pulled her down the hall to the balcony. She kept up, stumbling as they rushed outside. Peter grabbed the rope he'd left there and wound it around the balcony railing. He tossed half over it, so it hung in two lines down to the ground. Go! Safiri touched the rail with wide eyes. Peter, are you sure? Go! he insisted. She winced, but took the rope in hand, shaking as she lowered herself over the edge. Kira went next. Rylan got a few more good blows in on the lackeys to hold them back, then followed after her. You cocky little twit, Razor growled from the hallway. You think you can enter Viper territory with no consequences? Peter took both sides of the rope in hand and leaped over the balcony. The rough fabric burned in his palms as he slid down and landed with a thump in the dirt. Rylan had already boosted Kira and Safiri over the wall. Peter pulled the rope through the creaking balcony railing and left it in a pile as Razor rushed onto the balcony. Guards! The leader of the Vipers shouted. Guards, you useless morons, get them! Peter's confidence grew as he charged forward, leaped onto Ryland's shoulder and bounded over the wall. He reached down and hauled Ryland up and over as well, and then the four of them took off, sprinting through the narrow alleyways with Safiri leading the way. Panting and exhausted, the four friends stopped running when they arrived at the city square. Despite the late hour, the gathering area still bustled with activity as people moved between taverns and played gamut under the dim lights of the torches. A string player busked by the fountain, filling the air with jaunty music. At the far end of the square, fine iron gates protected the entrance to the gardens, the Baron of Palenting's castle looming behind it. Breathing heavily, Peter leaned against the wall by the fountain. Well, it didn't go as planned, but at least we got some coins. About that, Ryland cringed, his chest heaving. There was a lot of fighting and scuffling. Rylan? I may have, um, dropped it. Dropped it? Safiri asked. I got tackled, Ryland threw his hands up. It slipped out of my hands. Kira sighed and pinched the bridge of her nose. Awesome, Peter said. Great call on that endeavor, Rye. Well, at least we didn't get stabbed, he grumbled. Peter laughed and grasped Ryland's shoulder. Well, I guess you're right about that. Yeah, now we just have to worry about how the leader of the Viper Syndicate might want to stab us in the future, Safiri said. Peter waved a hand dismissively. They're too busy to worry about people like us. They've got money to collect. Exactly, Rylan said. Money we don't have. And whose fault is that? Peter raised his eyebrows. Come on. Safiri pushed her dark hair off her face. Her eyes were bloodshot and her face pallid. Can we not do this now? Guilt swept through Peter like a wave. The fight must have scared him more than I realized. It was easier for him to get carried away on nights like this. If things didn't work out, he and Ryland both had homes to return to, even if those homes were shabby and the cupboards were bare. For as long as Peter had known her, Safiri had been on her own. On her own except for her friends. Seth's right, Kira said. Let me buy dinner. Groans all around. Even though it wasn't a significant expense for Kira, 
living as she did in the rich neighborhood of Peritil View. Peter hated depending on her to pay for them. Just for tonight, she said. You shouldn't have to. I know, Kira said, silencing Rylan with a wave of her hand. It's not a big deal. It's one thing to sneak some food from your family's kitchen, Peter said, but buying us a whole meal. I said it's nothing. Peter sighed, his shoulders falling. A rumble ran through his stomach. Guess that's what you get for hanging out with degenerates like us. Speaking of which, why do you even bother with us? Rylan asked. Your parents don't approve, and you could have the attention of anyone in Palenting. I don't want to hang out with just anyone, Kira said, resting her hands on Rylan's and Zafiri's shoulders. Everyone else I see only cares about appearance and money. Rylan held up a finger. Uh, I care about money. Kira laughed. Whatever trouble you three are getting into, I want to be there with you. I wouldn't have it any other way. Now come on, I'm hungry. Peter followed with the weight of disappointment on his shoulders. If he could find the right target with the right plan and the right skills, he could change his life, his parents' lives, and his friends' lives in one night. Tonight wasn't that night.